Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rail Group On Air, presented by Railway Age and Railway Track and Structures magazines and International Railway Journal. I'm your host, Bill Wilson, and I am the editor-in-chief of RTNS magazine, and welcome to another podcast. This is Rail Group On Air. If it's green, then Boston wants to do it big and do it right. Most are familiar with the green monster at Fenway Park. The left field wall is only 310 feet away from home plate, but stands over 37 feet tall. These days, the Green Line extension is receiving a lot of the fanfare. For decades, only 20% of Bostonians in the area were within a half mile from a T-stop. When the $2.3 billion, 4.7-mile extension is complete later this year, 80% will have light rail access. The project calls for 17 miles of track, 100,000 rail ties, almost 4 miles of pilings, and 22 million pounds of steel girders. GLX Constructors, a joint venture of Floor Enterprises, the Middlesex Group, Herzog Contracting Corporation, and Belfort Beatty Infrastructure Incorporated is providing the work, and as you can hear, everything about the Green Line Extension Project is big. I had the opportunity to talk with GLX Program Manager John Dalton on the progress and some of the challenges of this job. Talk about uh, the importance of, of this project. Um, you're going to a historic area. Um, you're going to be able to serve a lot of people that have not been able to be served with transit, uh, light rail. So can you talk about the importance of it? Yeah, well, to, to work in this industry, um, and I've been working in public transportation capital investment projects for 20 years or so, it's um, it's always you always feel like what you're doing is is benefiting kind of the quality of life for people. And this project is really just such a such a clear reminder of that. Um, you know, the, the Green Line Extension project is uh, kind, of an, kind of an offshoot of sorts of the the Central Artery and Tunnel project or the Big Dig project, uh, dating back to the, the early 90s. And this project was a mitigation measure um, to kind of offset some of the vehicular traffic that would be coming coming into and through this region. So it's been on the books for a long time. And, you know, to see it happening now, um, to be as far along as we are on it, and seeing it really becoming kind of within reach, if you like, for providing a transit service to people who've been waiting, you know, no exaggeration, decades for this, is really is really something something to be special to be a part of. And one sort of data point that I think is pretty telling is, <clears throat> you know, at the end of this project, we'll be bringing rail service to uh, Cambridge, Somerville, and Medford, um, parts of which have either never had rail service, public rail service. And if they ever have, it's been gone for a long time. Um, and as of the start of this project, um, only 20% of the residents of Somerville, which is the main, the main sort of geographic footprint of the Green Line Extension, 20% of the residents of Somerville 
we're within walking distance of, of public rail service. And when we're finished with this job, just because of kind of the alignment and how it sits within Somerville, um, 80% of the population of that of that city will have, you know, walkable access to public transportation on, on rail for that, for, you know, to be clear. So, you know, to, to be in this line of work and feel like you're, you're delivering things to areas and regions that are going to make people's quality of life better, you know, the Green Line Extension is, is undisputedly doing that, and it's, 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 you know, it's fun to be a part of it. So you said this was an offshoot of the Big Dig project. Um, is it so? In what way is it an offshoot of it? Is are you trying to um, take traffic off the Big Dig off of that route? Um, yeah. Explain that yeah. relationship. There. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> if you look at kind of a bird's eye view, um, you know the Big Dig did a, did a ton of major highway arterial work, kind of around the primary highways coming into Boston, um, one of which is I-93, which kind of runs in a northwest direction away from the central business district of Boston. Um, and the, the the big dig just, you know, increased the vehicular capacity of that main uh, artery coming into the city, which, you know, therefore would uh, would, would introduce uh, higher volumes of traffic, um, you know, um, increase air air impacts. So um, the, the the green light extension was a what was defined as an environmental mitigation measure uh, in the planning process of the big dig. To yeah, like as you say, they'll give people an alternative uh, from getting in a car from from where they live to get downtown or you know wherever they're going towards downtown, uh, and instead have an option that is that is not. A single-person vehicle instead of getting on a, getting on a, on, a, on, a, on a public transportation option that would be as as attractive. So the uh, the the layout and kind of the, the configuration of the of the Green Line extension um, sought to you know give people an option that wasn't getting in a car to go to go somewhere when they can instead now get on a public transit alternative. This project, I believe, financially. I uh, had a little bit of trouble getting off the ground. Uh, you want to talk about that a few years ago and uh, just the journey back to get this project going? Yeah, and, and I got to preface this by saying a lot of that happened um, before I before I got here, so it's it's um, it's not a firsthand accounting of what occurred. But um, okay. as I said initially, the Green Line extension was sort of a was on the drawing board going back in the 1990s and. Um, in 2010-2012, the, the MBTA and the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts undertook to deliver the Green Line extension in, in a contract method called um, Construction Management General Contractor, or CMGC, um, which broke the project up into seven discrete chunks. Um, and uh, getting the project off the ground and getting those first of this, you know, I think the first four, three or four chunks awarded to the contractor was clearly trending in a way that, you know, each package was incrementally more than the, the budget for that package foresaw to the point where the fourth one, um, you know, showed that the, 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 the trend line was, was not sustainable to get the whole project delivered on, on budget. So once that became clear to, you know, the, the, the you know, state leadership, MBTA leadership, 
the project was was just was halted. Um, you know, work had not advanced so far to say that the real question mark was, do we even continue? Um, like, is the Green Line extension going to happen? So there was there was a point in time where, and again, not even been here, I, I, I can't speak firsthand, but it was a question of like, you know, is the Green Line extension, is it financially viable? So anyway, um, fast forward to 2015, 2016, um, the, the the Commonwealth, the governor, leadership of the MBK and, and Massachusetts DOT kind of gave two two primary directives. One is uh, figure out how to get the scope of the Green Line extension um, into a into a budget box that the projects can afford, and figure out a procurement a procurement model that's going to, as much as possible, assure cost cost certainty. Um, so as not to jeopardize the, the the project budget. So that was in 2015, 2016. Um, I got here late 2016, where we were kind of in the throes in the middle, in the middle of, her, and we were just getting started with the procurement process, uh, which we ended up using design build, which is kind of one of a handful of a handful of um, procurement options that that owner agencies have available for delivering projects like this. Um, the redesign advanced, the procurement process started, and then actually ended up wrapping up about a year later in early 2017. And in 2017, we, we, we issued the notice, notice to proceed to the, um, the contract, the design build entity who's currently performing the work. Um, and, uh, yeah, right now the, the overall budget, um, we still have a ways to go yet. We're probably 75% of the project, but, um, you know, we're, we're feeling like we're in a good place with the risks we see ahead of us and the contingency we have available to, to, to deliver the project uh, on budget. As far as uh, the right-of-way, did this require any kind of, has that been a challenge, any kind of purchases? Uh, tell me how the, the right-of-way laid out for this project. Yeah. So short answer is yes, it did require uh, acquisitions of, of different types. Um, in total, um, and I'll preface this by saying these are not all, you know, full takings of, of, of properties. A lot of these are, uh, a lot of these were full, full takings, but some are just partial takings, some are temporary easements, some are permanent easements. But in total, we acquired about, there's more than 200, I want to say 200, 212, um, you know, transactions uh, um, of a land nature. And one of the, one of the real, blessings and curses of this project is we, we built the Green Line Extension or we're building it in the Green Line Extension um, parallel to two existing MBTA commuter commuter rail line tracks, uh, one being the Fitchburg, Fitchburg Main Line tracks and the other one is the New Hampshire Main Line tracks. Um, and we're literally building the Green Line infrastructure adjacent to those existing commuter tracks. So Doing it that way did a couple things. One, it allowed us to kind of um, utilize an existing right of way, so we weren't like plowing through, um, you know, unplowed ground, uh, so to speak. Uh, it didn't mean there wasn't. We had we still had to widen the corridor. In fact, the first two years of the project was almost exclusively built widening the the envelope um, that was kind of adjacent to the commuter tracks. 
uh, on both sides, but that did a couple of things. It, it lowered the risk of just real estate acquisitions, and you know those can often be very timely and very costly. So by virtue of building the Green Line extension along MBTA existing or within MBTA existing property lines, for the most part, really cut down cut down a lot of uncertainty about you know co- project cost and and project schedule impacts that can often get kind of wrapped around procedural axles uh, and legal axles when you're when you're building a new a new infrastructure. The downside, though or sort of the challenge of building the Green Line extension in the shadows of the existing commuter rail tracks is that, you know, we built this thing uh, adjacent to live revenue service tracks. So there's there's certainly um, an amped up sensitivity to doing what is already risky work in the construction world. It's already risky just for obvious reasons, but building a, a facilities like this when you have, you know, locomotive trains coming through, Several times, you know, an hour, day and night. Um, it just, it just, it just increases. It it increases the degree of sensitivity to being very conscious of where you're working, and, and obviously can 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 decrease productivity to some extent. So, it's been a blessing and a curse to use this right of way that we have for the project. But um, I think in the long long run, it's been it's been a positive. So you want to talk about the track actual track construction? Our are pieces coming? Are, are the tra- is the track coming in sections and being laid down? Um, how is that all working? Um, it's a mixed bag for the most part. It is not coming in sections. Um, some of you know what you call the special track work, like with some of the turnouts and crossovers, some of the more uh, mechanized uh, components of, of of the track alignment arrive in, in, in sort of pre-assembled pieces. But for the most part, it's all uh, you know. It's, it's ties and rail and ballast and and clips, and it gets done uh, kind of you know in, in a in a in a in a in a piece by piece uh, approach. Aside from those um, aside from those few you know panels we call them of the track work that comes in kind of preassembled. Okay. So how is that? Are you using? Are you? I'm assuming you're. Are you going with concrete ties? Uh, wood ties? Uh, they're they're pre-treated wood ties, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and are you using uh, a special machine to lay the track down? I would the not say rail special. part of the track down. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I would I wouldn't say it's special. It's pretty. Um, we got a petty bone that pulls the rail and it puts the rail in place. A petty bone is like a big, you know, kind of a, a specialized piece of rail equipment um, that just kind of pulls pulls rail pieces and and and, and swings it into place. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty rudimentary as far as um, just the assembly of the of the track goes. Um, I will say there's a piece of equipment we use on this project, not not so much for the track installation, but just for the material delivery. It's um, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a very fancy name. It's called the multi-purpose machine, which uh, is effectively a work train with. Uh, a a a rail borne excavator that rides along the top of of the of the um, the rail cars and can pick up material deliver material um, and it runs the you know it's 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 probably an eight car an eight car carriage system which you can picture that that rides up and down the rails and and picks up and delivers material in a corridor that is pretty pretty tight already as I mentioned earlier already. And also, if you don't know, the Green Line extension alignment is sort of being built in a in a depressed, uh, topographically depressed area. So it's you know you're kind of you're kind of hemmed in 
if you like, for getting materials in and out. And this, this NPM uh, has been a huge – the multipurpose machine, excuse me, has been a big part in, in getting materials in and out. But, you know, back to your original question, the rail installation, the track installation has been pretty much um, – um, not, nothing, nothing fancy as far as equipment goes. And to be candid, you know, getting the rail and ties and and um, the rail pieces put down, it goes, it goes extremely quickly. Um, and one day you look down a run of the stretch and there's no rail, there's no ties, there's no, there's no track skeletonized. And, and literally the next day you look down and, and you have several hundred feet of track in place. Um, so, and that's worked for for the project so far. So when you had to widen the corridor uh, in these areas, when you're just laying, where you're just laying just track, did that just require a lot of earthwork and then uh, bringing in the ballast and all that kind of stuff? Was it pretty standard there? Um, no, uh, I mean, I mean, once the corridor was widened, it was pretty standard. The corridor, right. corridor, corridor widening was was the big lift. Um, I mean, you know, there was basically you can picture picture. Picture the, the 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 commuter rail tracks I mentioned initially were kind of sitting at the bottom of a, a V-shaped, you know, cut, um, and we kind of took that V and turned it into a a big U um, by you know installing some pretty pretty substantial retaining walls um, just to kind of hold back the the earth from those slopes that in some cases were 20 or 30 feet above the you know what is now the top of rail. So by the time you cut all that back move the soil, put in the structural members to hold the soil back, um, you know, it takes a pretty fair amount of time. Plus, you can't forget, sort of sitting where we are in these cities, we're collecting an awful lot of rainwater uh, from what's kind of above us. So building, put, putting in a very substantial drainage system to, you know, manage a substantial degree of, of rainwater from the adjacent cities so as it wouldn't, you know, interfere with future, future, um, you know, track operations was a huge part of the front end of the job, too. Do you want to talk about that drainage system as far as what it involved? Yeah, sure. Because um, it was a huge, it was a, it was, it was a huge focus for an awful long time. Um, so again, picture we're we're building the Green Line Extension um, in in a in a in a in a valley, if you like, in a canyon almost. So we had to, you know, make sure that the final product of the Green Line extension would not be vulnerable to, uh, you, know, flood, you know, flooding and that kind of thing. So a large part of that was installing the kind of – probably the biggest component of, of the drainage system was a 60-inch diameter um, fiberglass reinforced pipe uh, drainage trunk, if you like, um, that ran the better part of a mile um, – and again, it had to be installed deep enough to, um, you know, carry the water away at a, at a gravity slope. Um, so you had a pretty massive trench to excavate to put this 60-inch drain line in. And again, this is all happening next to an active commuter railway that couldn't be obviously undermined. Um, so the process to getting that 60-inch drain line in, um, while also not interfering with the, the the locomotives that were running, you know, within, you know, not not a, not a very big distance away was a, was a pretty big engineering undertaking. Um, and plus, we have some pretty um, 
there's, there's a pretty substantial degree of high rock in this area. So, you know, getting, you know, clearing and demolishing and um, ripping out the rock to allow us to get down to the depths we needed to to install that drainage trunk was was a pretty big was a pretty big undertaking. Do you want to talk about the bridge work? Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're dealing with widening existing bridges. Uh, do you know how many bridges and what where you're at in that in that terms of progress as far as percent completion? Yeah, yeah. There's a total of seven bridges. Um, you can picture kind of in, in your mind that that picture I tried to paint with you know we're sitting sitting below city street level in in Somerville and and um, and Cambridge on this on this part of the in this area where we're talking about bridges so we're, we're you know we had to the, the green line runs bow several bridges uh, seven like I mentioned a minute ago so um, two bridges were completely reconstructed um, Washington Street Bridge and um Broadway Bridge. Uh both both of which were 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 widened. Um Broadway in particular was made probably twice as wide as long uh, as far as a car travel. So cars travel above the above the tracks. So if you're kind of just driving on the road, that bridge is now twice as long as it was before we started. And that was, you know, to do two to do a couple things. One was to make it wide enough for to accommodate the, the existing commuter tracks that are there, uh, to accommodate the two new green line tracks that will be there. And because of where the most adjacent station sits next to the Broadway Bridge, the tracks are starting are starting to kind of flare, if you like, kind of separate. Because all of our all the stations are what we call island platforms. The, the platforms sit in between the tracks. So at every location, at every station location, the tracks have to kind of widen to, to allow the, the station footprint to sit within the track. So anyway, at Broadway Bridge, uh, there's a station immediately north of the bridge. And uh, by the time you widen the tracks for not just the commuter tracks, but the green line tracks, and considering there's a station right there, it made them even wider, made the tracks center to be even wider. It really demanded that the bridge be about twice as long as it was before. So yeah, th that bridge was probably the biggest lift as far as bridge work goes in the project. There are a handful of other bridges that get they get different sort of degrees of modification, um, but that that was the that bridge and the Washington Street Bridge were the only two that were complete complete reconstructions. The others we can get away with some other modifications that don't require a full complete demolition and reconstruction. And so to answer your question, percent complete on bridge doors, I'd say we're probably probably eighty percent complete on, on all the bridge projects at this point. And those modifications on the other bridges, can you just explain them generally, what, what that involves? Yeah. yeah, sure. So in some cases, uh, the, the modification was, was quite minimal in that um, just as part of this project or part of any rail project is making sure you have sufficient safety clearances on either side of you know the active tracks. So there's some places where we can get away with creating what we call safety niches. Uh, in the abutment walls of, exist, of the existing bridges. In other words, you're kind of just carving out spaces of refuge for if people are working on the tracks and need to step, uh, kind of get stepped back. In the future, when a train comes by, there's, there's space made available for people to kind of stand back and, and, and stand out of the, the dynamic envelope of the train. So that's kind of probably, I would say, the least, the least, uh, the, the, the easiest lift for the, the bridge work. 
Um, the other modification, this applies at two different locations. We're effectively, if you can picture this, extending the length of the bridge while keeping uh, the existing abutment and making one of the one of the existing abutments the new center pier of the bridge, and extending the bridge to a new to a new end abutment. If that makes sense, we're basically kind of cart, kind of digging out behind what is when we started you know, call it the, the south abutment. We're digging out behind the south abutment and building a new a new extension of the bridge above what had just been earth before so the trains could pass in that new envelope um, without having to reconstruct the entire bridge. Does that make sense? Yeah, and where's that being done? Uh, two locations, um, Medford Street Bridge and School Street Bridge, both in Somerville. Where are you at in terms of percent completion with the track itself? Just the track or the, the whole project? Just the track, and then you can also do the whole project. Um, just the track, we're probably, and by, by this I mean like track, not just on the ground, but like fully dressed and kind of prepped and, you know, ready for, you know, theoretically ready for, for train service. Probably, probably 40% for track when you consider when you consider the rail yard, you know, we're building a vehicle maintenance facility as part of this with a storage yard and all that kind of stuff. So probably 40% when you, when you look at the whole, the whole project, the, the mm -hmm. track is, is, is ready. Um, and as far as the overall project, we're probably around 75, 77% complete overall. Uh, and I got to ask this next question because it's always a question uh, with, the current conditions, but how have you been able to do all this work with a pandemic, global pandemic going on? Yeah, that's a good question, um, and it deserves it deserves uh, some time. And there'll be case studies written about. I mean, well, obviously, case studies written about the pandemic when when this is all in the in the rearview mirror. But uh, I mean, this project, like 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 I would assume any other, has not been immune to the impact of the pandemic. Um, We've been fortunate um, on the job site as far as um, like staff staff health. To date, we've had a total since last March, in March of 20, we've had a total of 68 positive cases in the project. Where you know you consider we have on any given day 500 550 people working, 68 positive cases is 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 is, is a is a it's not zero, but it's not a huge number. So we've been pretty fortunate that way, I would say. Where we have felt the impacts of the pandemic mostly is on supply chain. Um, you know, we're, we're pulling materials from all over the country, and in some cases, components from different parts of the world. So, you know, at, we're kind of feeling the pandemic impacts, even if it's kind of stasis in Massachusetts, you know, it's not stasis in Florida. It's not stasis in Texas. It's not stasis in California where we're getting material. So, you know, we, we have continued and we do continue to get um, notices from suppliers about, you know, their factory had a COVID outbreak. Um, and, you know, when that happens, they, you know, depending on what kind of factory it is and what kind of workforce they have, if the stand shut down completely, um, they lose some percentage of workers, you know, that affects their productivity and ultimately, you know, 
a lot of those things we can we can absorb on the project because it's a material that's not a critical item, but in some cases, you know, it is a critical item, and um, we, we've had we've had our share of those too. So um, it hasn't. It's certainly been. Now, saying that, we've had some. There's been some silver linings with COVID as well. Um, you know, a lot of these bridges we've had to close for the work that we just talked about a minute ago. Uh, we've gotten some relief from the cities. Um, as far as durations of closures of bridges, um, ability to close adjacent bridges, where previously when traffic was you know, pre-COVID, that would have been a major problem to the, you know, the, the function of the city with two bridges, adjacent bridges, bridges being closed. So COVID has allowed us and, and given our, you know, the, the folks we work with in the city is an ability to kind of give us some, give us some, give us a little more latitude on some of the things we wouldn't have otherwise been able to, and plus, you know, there was less rail traffic for a while too. I mean, you know, with with the ridership going so far lower than it was in pre-COVID, you know, MBTA, like probably most transit agencies, dialed back some of their some of their revenue service vehicles, and that gave us just less of an impact just on the operational side of working close to the existing commuter tracks. In terms of the month of August, where do you expect to be? You know, with rail installation, percent completion, bridge work, where you expect to be come August? Yeah. So, um, just for what it's worth, I mean, the Green Line Extension has two branches. Um, there's the, the Union Square branch, <clears throat> which is about a mile in length. And then there's the Medford branch, which is about three and a half miles in length. And we have always sort of planned that the two branches would not open concurrently. So the, the, the branch one, the first branch to go into what we call revenue service, um, in other words, you know, the public riding on trains would be the shorter branch, Union Square branch. So I think um, in August, by August, um, we should be, and this is on the Union Square branch initially, we should be pretty much um, completely built out in terms of track, um, systems infrastructure, you know, whether it's power delivery or train control, communication. Um, and if, if we're not completely built out, we're definitely deep, deep, deep into what we call the testing and commissioning phase. So, you know, every component needs to be tested, first of all, by itself, and then make sure it, 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 can, it can be integrated with the other, other components on the system. Um, and then sort of the third phase of testing is actually having trains running, you know, empty trains effectively, just to make sure the trains are talking to the new systems and the new systems are talking to each other and everything functions how it's supposed to. So I think, you know, in, by late summer, um, we will be in some phase of testing and commissioning, uh, especially on branch one. Um, and as far as branch two, by the end of the summer, um, we will probably be right on the front end of the testing and commissioning, um, and we will probably be focusing an awful lot on getting the stations, um, you know, uh, near completion. Um, because a lot of the testing and commissioning can kind of start while you're still doing some construction on, on stations and things like that. As far as track goes, I think by midsummer we'll have all the track will be, all the track will be um, in place. It may not be fully, fully dressed, and sort of ready for for running service, but it'll all be it'll all be down. Uh, the bridges should all be substantially complete. Um, we might be still be doing some curb work or you know kind of 
final final dress up for the for the seven bridges, but um, we should be um, we should be awfully close to being done with the bridge work by then too. Anything else you want to add about this project? Anything else I might have missed that is worth discussing? Um, I mean, I always I always put out a word of acknowledgement to the the. the Kind of the communities we've been affecting during this project. I mean, we're, we're building the Green Line Extension in one of the densely, most densely populated areas of, of New England, um, and you know, we, we are literally in people's backyards an awful lot. So, you know, um, for the last two and a half years, we've been a very, you know, clear and present uh, neighbor um, to a lot of people and a lot of businesses, and it has not come without inconveniencing them just in terms of kind of the standard noise and dirt and night work that and street closures that you see on any project but you know closing some of these bridges has been a big deal um, and these are some pretty major arterials that make these cities work and for us to have closed them uh, for for a pretty extended period of time in some cases has, has, has definitely had, a, had an impact and and people have really put up with it uh, I think it goes a long way that, you know, this project has been on the books for so long and people are wanting this thing to get done, not just because they want us to kind of get out of their hair, but because they want rail service. And I think people put up with a lot of, a lot of inconveniences um, to, 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 to allow it to happen quicker rather than slower. So I just like to point out to just say thanks to people who have, have kind of endured our being, where we've been and um, just remind them that we're, we're almost, we're almost at the back end of this thing. And what I've said all along, that the, the gain is worth the pain. Um, and I, I just, you know, don't like to not have a chance to say thanks to people who put up with that when I have a chance. What a gain the people of Boston are receiving with this Green Line extension. I would like to thank our guest John Dalton for joining us. On behalf of Rail Group on Air and Railway Track and Structures Magazine, I'm Bill Wilson, and I will see you down the line.